Hey, this is James Kotak of the Scorpions, and you're listening to Focus on Metal with Scott and Richie. All right, metalheads and recording enthusiasts, welcome to the sixth installment of Focus on Metal's Little Mountain Sound Series. Yes, we have finally reached installment number six. Here we are, December of 2015, been at it all year, and we're at episode six. And there is still a lot of audio left to go after this one as well. So safe to say that this one is definitely going into next year and a little bit of a delay then on the 2016 project that Richie is already busily working on. So if you recall on installment five, we had another one of those behind the scenes shows with studio owner Bob Brooks. This time we go back to one of the artists. You know, we've been going behind the scenes and then artists back and forth. And so again, this week is an artist-based episode. So a few weeks ago, as we were discussing all the episodes coming up, we were discussing what we were going to do for installment six of Little Mountain Sound, which artists we were going to uh, put on it. And we looked at all of the various artists that we have recorded, ready to go. And surprisingly, Richie picked this one. And I was thinking that I was going to save this one to be the final artist one, mostly because the guy's been a really good friend of the show, great guy to hang out with. And I just wanted to wrap up the artist segment with this guy. But Richie said, no, I really would want to do this one. So uh, this week we are bringing you James Kotak. We actually did this interview on August 25th, 2014. So yeah, you've actually heard interviews we've done with James after this one was done before we even aired this. Does that even make sense? I don't know. But anyways, we've done other interviews with James and they've long since been aired and we've been sitting on this one like i said i wanted to air this as our final artist one and richie overruled me and you know i'm not gonna argue about it so if you're gonna have a drummer that's related to little mountain sound then i think kotak is definitely a really good choice and we've had other artists on the show as well talking about uh, about james kotak we've had producers talking about james kotak it seems like focus on metal has become six degrees of james kotak over the last two years uh, i was just thinking back about it as i was getting ready to prepare this show and it's amazing how many people bring up james kotak when we talk about him like i said if you're going to have a drummer that's related to little mountain sound i think he's definitely the dude to do it because i think really if you look back at his career it really took off from the time he went in there to record with kingdom come on because a lot of other things that link down in the rest of his career all go back to really being noticed at Little Mountain Sound and going forward from there. And the guy has definitely had a pretty storied career. He uh, he was on the Montrose album Mean. Of course, Kingdom Come, he was with on the self-titled one as well as In Your Face. He uh, played with Michael E. Ferkins. He's been with the band Wild Horses. Obviously, he was in with the Macaulay Shanker group. I uh, did uh, played on Warren's Ultraphobic album. And of course, he's been with the Scorpions for a long time now. He's actually the longest running drummer in the Scorps. Yep, he's been in there longer than Herman Rarebell. First showed up on their Eye to Eye album and has gone all the way through to their latest albums as well. So done a lot of stuff with Scorps, good stuff. And also he's got his own band called Kotak and got several albums out with Kotak as well, including Therapy, Rock and Roll Forever, and Attack. So a very, very busy guy. 
So I think you guys are really going to like this talk with James. And it was it was really hard for Richie and I to keep on point with this one and not want to talk to him about a million other things going on in the world of Kotak. But as much as we did try to keep it on point, James did share some other great stories with us in the history of Kotak. And we're not going to tell him he can't, right? I mean, this is good stuff. So lots of cool stuff that James talks about in this one. And we are very pleased to be able to bring it to you. So why don't you get yourself settled in and get ready to enjoy a great talk with James Kotak. As Focus on Metal brings you Little Mountain Sound Studio Installment 6. All right, guys, I think we're ready to lay this first track down. Take one, roll. So as part of our massive 
project for 2015, talking about Little Mountain Sound. Richie kind of stirred up the pot and got for us a guy who worked quite a bit at Little Mountain Sound, part of his past. That is the legendary drummer James Kotak from The Scorpions and, of course, a whole other bunch of bands as well. How are we doing tonight, James? Great, Scott. Great, Richie. Which one is which? I don't know who's who. So Richie's the Irish <laughs> dude, and I'm the Boston dude. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I got it. All right. <laughs> well, so, cool. Good to talk to you guys. Yeah, so we might as well start. Um, how did you get the gig in Kingdom Come to begin with? Well, I moved to Los Angeles in like February of 1987. I've been wanting to come for a few years. And at the time, I was, you know, in a cover band, or I mean, in a metal band back, back, you know, in the South, and we toured all over. We almost had a record deal, so I came out here. Yeah. And funny enough, I, I happened to be in a 7-Eleven, and I saw a Music Connection magazine. I'd never heard of it. So I got it, went home, and there was an ad, and they said, hey, you know, uh, this chick who places people with bands. I go, well, that's cool. So I just called her up. And... Uh, I kind of got in, in the door faster because at the time the Ronnie Montrose Mean album had just came out and was being played all over KNC. So that helped me get noticed faster. So, I, I mean, I literally went on a cattle call. There was like probably 65, 75 other drummers and just went in and played. And uh, Lenny's like, wow, you're good, you know, and we hit it off and there you go, I guess. That's really that simple. What did you play in the audition? Can you remember? Uh, there were four songs on a cassette ta ta tape, and it was Get It On, 17, What Love Can Be, and I want to, I think, Living Out of Touch. Okay. And what was funny, though, the way he programmed it, and this is what, 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 why he noticed me more, is he programmed it, it was all kick, snare, hi-hat, and like one crash cymbal. <laughs> and so when I showed up to the audition, all I brought with me was a kick, snare, hi-hat, one crash cymbal, no toms. Because I'm like, oh, what's the point? There are no fills. <laughs> and I, I walked in, and there's all these guys with these octopuses and these huge double bass cages and I don't know, all that stuff. And he, he walks in, he goes, hey, what the F is this? Who are you? What, what is this? Where's the rest of your set? I go, well, I don't need it. I'm playing the four songs and that's it. And he goes, ooh, I like that. I like that schnitzel. And uh, so... You know, because they're all about backbeat, and so it worked out, man. We, you know, I auditioned a few more times, and there we go. Yeah, and who else was in the band at that stage? Had, had Lenny got anyone else in the band? I, actually, it was just Lenny, and uh, I think I was the first in, and then Johnny and Danny, the bass player and get the lead guitars, they came as a package. They were, because uh, Johnny was actually a keyboard player, and then he played bass on the side, so... They were kind of like a package deal. Then we had another guitarist for like about six weeks. And, you know, you just, after you're, after you're rehearsing every day, you know, five days a week, you start to, you, it, it's going to work or it's not. And this guy just didn't work. And that's, I was able to bring in Rick Steyer, who's my friend from Louisville, Kentucky. We've been buddies for, since like 1921 or something. <laughs> and uh, so that was, that was it. And it just all came together in a matter of months. Yeah. And did you go out and play shows and that's how you got your deal with, with Polydor? No, no, no. Actually, you know, before Kingdom Come, Lenny had uh, his project Stone Fury with him and uh, another guitarist, and that he already had a, a manager dude who had brought him over and got him the deal. Anyway, the manager dude was like, Lenny wants to be solo because two albums, nothing happened, and uh, he uh, hooked up somehow got hooked up with Derek Shulman from Polygram. And if you know the name Derek Shulman, if you know your rock history, mm -hmm. Derek was responsible. He signed John Bon Jovi. He signed Cinderella, Tears for Fears, 
and uh, he found that men without hats, you know, you can dance if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he was just like instrument. And, you know, it was funny. Like in 84, my band went to New York City, and he came and saw us, our band, and he passed on us. And I, and I go, yeah, well, you passed on us. What happened? He goes, oh, I found a band from Philadelphia called Cinderella. I was like, oh, okay, well, he made a good choice. <laughs> So it's like everybody, it's this whatever the Kevin Bacon degrees of separation. So Lenny had to deal with, um, with uh, Derek to, 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 it was like a development deal. She said, put together a band, and that was it. And we just, he only, uh, he had those four songs, and then here came two or four more. And then next thing you know, we had 12 or 14, and it was an album. Yeah, and that was Bob Rock your first choice of producer? You know, I wasn't really part of that. I heard a few names being thrown around, and like, uh, uh, what's Douglas? Um, what's Jack Douglas? Girls? Jack yeah, Douglas. Exactly him. And they were talking about uh, 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 the, um, oh, Andy Johns. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about this one and that one. And somehow Bob Rock came up because, you know, he was the engineer on the Bon, of the bon Jovi records. And he, he worked with Bruce Fairbairn. Yeah. Um, and I guess it was just his turn, you know. And I'd never heard of him. He had some band in Canada, and uh, I was like, oh, wow, we're going to Vancouver. Wow, that's incredible. And um, we, we did meet him in L.A. He flew down here, and uh, he was such a cool guy, man. He's just like a surfer dude from Canada. Go figure. <laughs> and uh, he's just like a super mellow-focused guy, man. It's like, and uh, we, you know, he came, and we did a little pre-production down here, but it was mostly up to us. We got all the arrangements together. Then lo and behold, they go, oh, you're going to Vancouver in August. I'm like, oh, what? This is all insane. Yeah, so you were obviously okay going up there. What about the rest of the band? Were they, were they okay going up to Vancouver? I, everything, everybody was cool about it. Are you kidding? Because all we heard about was, was about all the strip bars. <laughs> and, uh, it was like, at the time, I, I don't know about now, but at the time, it was like the strip cap capital of the world. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I, I never was much on, on going to strip bars, but when you're hanging out with your band and you're in another city, uh, you know, it's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, when Richie yeah. was compiling the list of people to get on for this special, you know, when he was saying some of the people that he was talking to was getting on, and the last thing after he's done, I was like, no strippers? We can't talk about Lynn Mountain <laughs> without talking about strippers. <laughs> well, at the time, actually, it's funny, uh, Candace was one up there and was up there just working, and we, had, we hung out a lot. Of, I didn't really get to know her that well, but she was the one I knew because she had been married to Tom. She was Tommy Lee's first wife. Oh. And the plot thickens, and the world just got smaller. <laughs> <laughs> and there was this great club up there called the Metro, and like the Loverboy dudes would hang out. And I remember Steven Tyler was up there doing. Um, doing something in the other studio there at Little Mountain and we hung out a bit and he was sober and stuff but uh, it didn't make a difference he's still insane and a uh, super nice guy that's when they were just kind of getting their whole deal back together getting permanent vacation together and all that it was crazy oh, right. yeah. yeah yeah so to tell us the, the setting of the studio is it in downtown Vancouver or is it out in the middle of nowhere uh, no it's actually right there in the city we stayed at some hotel and um, uh, it's right there and the only thing I knew is that uh, ACDC recorded there with Bruce Fairbairn and Bon Jovi and Loverboy and Brian Adams and I'm like going, wow, this is incredible so when you got there, it's kind of a little surreal because that was, I mean, I had some pretty good success with Ronnie Montrose and a few other things but nothing like this Yeah. so you get there, it's just a, a standard studio you know, and uh, and uh, with this, but what was cool out in the, in the main room which you've ever seen that Metallica uh, video where they're at Low Mountain year, and, year uh, and a half, yeah yeah, and it's a, 
it's the uh, you know they're showing them at sitting out in the studio. That's what that's where the drums were set up, and then the guitarist and bass player they'd be in the control room. But off of the the, the tr- that room, there was a where uh, a truck loading area, and Bob Rock would put his microphones out there. Mm. In addition to in the studio, and he had all kinds of crazy miking techniques I'd never seen before. And uh, um, I mean, at that point, I'd already probably done about eight or ten albums and but he was just like from the and just the biggest drum sound in the world yeah. just incredible man i learned so much and what to do and what not to do he was just hands-on just it was like it was like four years of rock and roll university in in like three or four weeks it was great <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I imagine that that's, you know, using that warehouse thing to get kind of that ambient, you know, sound on the drums, just mixing that in the back must have just, it just probably, just probably hearing your drums on the studio monitors after recording without anything else must have just been freaking amazing to hear. That was, that really was crazy. And he had microphones. I'd never seen more microphones in my life. He had them, like, one in every corner of the big room. And this was the biggest, I would say, biggest recording room I'd ever been in at the time, because I guess they had space for it there. And, uh... It was just, he just, he's one of those engineers that's just super mega talented, that has ears, and uh, I, I mean, I can't even tell you the name of the microphones, I, never, I was never into that kind of stuff. Yeah. But he just got this drum sound, and everybody goes, when the album came out, everybody's like, going, oh yeah, well, so uh, you used a lot of samples on this album, didn't you? I'm like, oh no, <laughs> we had Bob Rock, <laughs> and nobody knew who Bob Rock was at the time, though. Yeah, now did Bob give you much um, guidance on what to play, or did he did he basically leave it to your own devices? Well, like I said, we went in in August. We've been rehearsing since I want to say like April, April, May, June, July. Which pre-production—that's a long time. So we we pretty much had it rock solid what we we're doing. But then what we did, we went in for like 
I want to say like a week yeah. in like a room where he just sat in a chair with his notebook and we'd play the song and then he'd go, well, hey, try like this or play it like this or what do you think about doing this? And he'd make little suggestions here and there, but the little suggestions ended up being big, which gave the band its identity and its, you know, subtleties and stuff. And, um, but I, again, though, I'd always been like a, a bottom freak. I loved John Bottom. Mm. And uh, so that had a lot of influence on me and how I played and my approach. And, uh, you know, single kick, one rack, two floors, and a bunch of cymbals and a snare drum. Yeah. Now, um, of course, Lenny co-produced the record. What's the biggest difference on that album between the way Bob produced it and Lenny produced it? Are you talking about the first one? The first one. Um, I, you know... <laughs> I'm not really sure about that. You know, Lenny, Lenny and I are friends, and I can say just about whatever. But Lenny is very specific about what he wants and how he wants it. Yeah. And there's some things he would not budge on. He goes, it has to be this way. And he was right. Like, he brought, he put on the demos, he had this little cheesy, I don't know what kind of Casio keyboard or something. And he had it, and we used that actual keyboard on the actual album. He insisted on it. And sure enough, it turned out to be great. You know, and same with the way he wanted the bass played, the way he wanted the guitar done. I mean, he wrote a lot of solos. He wrote ninety percent of all the all the the music, and then uh, actually wrote lyrics on a few songs. And we all chipped in. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I would say he definitely earned his co-producing credit because for a lot of guys, they want a co-producing credit just for ego, so they can go around and say they produced it. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I would have to give Lenny credit because he's super talented and he knows exactly what he wants. The problem is he just sometimes takes it a little too far and ends up ruining a track too. So it goes both ways. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you hang around for the other, when the other guys played their sessions? Did you hang around for that, or did you just get your drum tracks and and go? Well, I, like I said, we were probably were, we worked with Bob down here maybe for a week or ten days. Yeah. Then when we got up there, we went into rehearsal for another week, ten days, and uh, then um, went in the studio. You know, it was a couple of days of setting up and. Uh, just it, it just we just started tracking and the whole goal which was kind of new to me because budget wise we could do it was to get the drums mm. and i'm like oh wow so yeah. that meant all the guitars and bass they had to go back and redo everything and was i spent uh, you know i probably did like two tracks a day three wow. tracks a day and that's all he wanted because i would track and then they would spend the next few hours going back and redoing the bass and guitar right then so it was fresh mm. so it was kind of like almost a live track but yeah. rather than come back the next day the mood would be different the air is different if it might not be raining who knows mm. and so everything sounds different yeah so yeah. i mean it was great and then probably after i was done with the drums i hung around for like another week and uh i never wanted to leave but actually it can get after quite a few days in the studio i'm sure you guys have been in it can get quite boring you know? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. I mean, usually I'm, whenever I was going in with my bands, I was doing production and, and stuff and kind of being a Lenny and getting in the way. So it never got boring for me because you're, you're never bored when you're an asshole. And, and so I'm never bored. So <laughs> Good one. You know. But, um, you know, when you guys were doing that one, that was pretty much the middle of that big wave of people going up to that studio and stuff. Now, was the environment like just like a really cool kind of laid back vibe or, um, you know, people dropping in and out? And, you know, you obviously mentioned, you know, Aerosmith working on, on permanent and stuff like that. And, you know, people going in and out of the in, out of the control room, hanging out, checking things out or. 
I know, I, you know, I, I'd love to tell you that there's, you know, strippers everywhere and booze and, and everybody, you know, doing rails off a console, but nothing like that. Mm. It's all, uh, it was all about business. When you're, when you're spending a couple grand a day, and even back then, that's, this is 1987, a couple grand a day plus, you know, you've got all your expenses, you know, you're spending at least between five and eight grand a day, yeah. and you've got to get down to business. So there's a time to work, and they'd start every day about 10 or 11. Um, and we just crank the stuff out and finish up around seven or eight, yeah. you know, and because uh, Bob went surfing every single morning, so we couldn't start before 11. <laughs> 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 and then, you know, come around eight, seven, eight, eight o'clock, we'd go, go out to dinner, and then we'd go hit some bars and goof off because that's what you do when you're 25 and young mm. and um, and you know what else? Yeah. <laughs> and it, but it was super down to business, but not all serious and heavy. Bob is just like I said, like he's like a California surfer dude, and just totally laid back. And you just kind of talk to him like a friend. And you know, uh, over the years, I've talked to him here and there. He always takes my calls when I have contacted him, and um, emails me back. How surprising! Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, you know, because I think a lot of people their experience when talk about Bob Rock is they you know, they kind of do look at like the, all the Metallica stuff and their interaction with Bob. And it always seems right. like Bob's such a taskmaster until you really step back and look at it and go, like you said, a lot of times he's offering a very simple suggestion, but kind of yeah. the wall of, hey, 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 we don't do it that way is so much greater than his little simple suggestion that it, it always kind of makes it look like he's like this really pushy dickhead. But it really is. He does do those little small, hey, I think you should maybe go minor there or do two of those exactly. and things. Yeah. And that's what, what's you know, there's a lot of great producers hmm. out there that, that aren't musicians. Right. You know, uh, I mean, especially from the older days, from the 70s and, and 80s, and those guys were great, but most of them can't play guitar, or, or they were vocal-type producers, or they weren't in a band, or they were in a band but not really could play, but they were just producer-producers. Hmm. But Bob Rock was one of the first guys I met and really got to know who was all around. He could pick up the guitar, then he could play the keyboard, and he came, approached it from a producer slash He's a um, band guy, whatever hat you want to need, he needs to put on at a time, and it really, really worked. I'm super proud of that album, and I always want to go back and record with him again, but it just never worked out. Yeah. And, you know, and yeah, I mean, he does do this pretty amazing job, and I really do like the whole technique you described of, of rather than just having you do an entire week of drum track after drum track, of, of really keeping that daily right. vibe. I mean, that's just a really cool way of doing it. Yeah, and, and, and it's it's good that way. That way you don't feel, number one, you get the vibe at the time because, you know, all those drums, all those tr uh, all those tracks are beginning to end. Like, we didn't do a lot of, uh, what do you call it, uh, punching in, punching mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And and that's cool. I, I, I like that way of recording, but also like the way of recording now where you can do anything. You can cut and paste and copy and, you know, do whatever you need to do to make it great. I, I mean, honestly, I think I haven't, played on an album that used tape the last one was i want to say like 96 97 yeah it, it's been that long since you know there you go in there they're, they're put the tape off i mean i did a few things here and there in la but not anything of relevance right yeah 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 it definitely has been yeah i think probably for me it's probably like yeah like 92 93 since i recorded a tape so and some of it is yeah. convenient you know nowadays of course you get the other end of it too where people just like they just layer on so much crap because they can, and at the end of it, you're like, ah, I can't even, just, you know, kind of discern what the hell's going on in here. But, uh, <laughs> well, that's one cool thing. It's it's with all the new Pro Tools and this one and uh, uh, Logic and GarageBand and everything. It's enabled everybody to be able to record. The problem is, uh, it's with all the 
for all the good music that that's out there, there's a lot of really bad too. Yeah. You know, and before it wasn't like that because number one, nobody could really afford the tape, much less the studio time, unless you were signed to a label. You know, I remember I, I got a ton of session work in L.A. in in, uh, in the early, you know mid late '80s here when I came here and '90s. That's how I made a living when I wasn't touring. And I would go in and just knock out literally uh, some uh, some sunset of uh, a sunset you know hair band would say, "Hey, will you play on our our demo?" I go, "Sure." You know, uh, you know, two for the track. I could do it all in one day, and I go in there and knock out ten songs in a day. Because they didn't have any money. They had like three days to do the entire thing and they're returning it to an album. Yeah. Who knows how many albums I'm on that and you know about it. <laughs> <laughs> like the, he's like the Jimmy Page of drums here. Oh, man. <laughs> I, that's, well, that's a big compliment, but no, I was a real drum war, man. I played on all kinds of crap. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, James, Bob decided then to mix it in, in New York. Is there any reason why he didn't mix it at a, at a little mountain sound? You know, I, I think it's probably with all the tracking. You're there tracking day after day, week after week. Um, it's it's sometimes the producer's preference. I would say probably just to get in a fresh environment. Because mm, yeah. you know, think about it, Bob's here or whoever the producer may be, day in day out, and that's also sometimes you know you the record label maybe suggested it or somebody would suggest it or maybe Lenny even said, hey, let's mix it in New York. Um, I, I don't know. You know, yeah. some guys have their favorite rooms to mix, and uh, I don't know much about Bob's preference on that. But I do know that whatever he did was <laughs> pretty phenomenal, you know. And then also the mastering makes a huge difference. Where do you master these records? I mean, you have a killer mastering guy with Marino on Joe there. I mean, that's, that's top-notch. I mean, Jesus Christ, superstar. He was like, I mean, just like, it, it, you know, I've mastered a, uh, like a few of my own albums and mm. sat there, went through the process, and honestly... It's so hard once you've done all the tracking and recording and everything, you lose perspective. Mm -hmm. Imagine spending hundreds of hours, and you're, you're the producer in there, just going over and over with this stuff, how you, easy it is to lose perspective. That's why sometimes you hire out another guy to mix and another guy to master or whatever. Yeah, and of course the mastering stuff usually, they, you know, they have a lot of different special tools as well. It's a little bit different and stuff. And yeah. people have asked me before when I've done like mastering for someone and I start to explain, you know, what it is that, that you do on it. And they're just like, no, nah, just, just, just do it. Don't even try to explain it any further. I'm done. I'm full. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the first time I actually went to, to do a master was my my first Kotak album, which then was called Crunk. And of course, that album went nickel, or I might have gone tin. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I went down to Ocean Studios or Ocean Wave, or Ocean. It's down in Santa Monica, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I went to meet the mastering dude, you know, and uh, and I went in there, and, and I'd never been in the mastering place. I walk in, he, he has like literally, I mean, like sixteen different speakers set up in there. Yeah. And he checks it on everything, and then we'd A-beat it, because the sound I really like that Green Day Dookie album. So I A-beat it with Green Day Dookie to get all the decibel levels, because as years have gone by, albums have gotten hotter and hotter and louder and louder. Oh, yeah. Like, if you go back and put on ACDC Black, Back in Black, it, on anything, you know, it's like really low in the thing. Mm -hmm. Then you put on like a metallic album, it's sitting in red. Yep. You know? So it's a whole art. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, it is crazy. One of our other co-hosts, one of his usual things, like his standard op, is any of the CDs from like the you know the 80s. He rips them down, pops up the gain, burns up a high gain copy, and that's what he plays. He's just that's like that's right. his thing all the time. 
Well, you know what? I, that, that's totally cool. And uh, I, I have to say also on that note, I mean, there's been many albums I've played on where, where you listen to it and it's mixed, and nine times out of ten, most guys in the band go, oh, yeah, well, I like, I like the sound of the album before it was mastered. But they've, they've screwed it up when it was mastered. But you have to master it to make it you know, clear on all formats, radio, because radio compresses it, and, and now who knows where it's being played, you know, mostly through people's computers and stuff, so it's nuts. Yeah, I mean, that's always a thing when I'm doing projects for people is like, you know, I'll give it to them and I'll say, well, listen to it in earbuds, play it in your car, you know, all the, and then they're like, oh yeah, this one sounds good in the car, this one's, and, and you really do have to do that. I know, you know, now there's some stuff you can do for your home studios where you can actually select different speaker setups and it, it starts right. to, to, to model those as well. So you start to get a little bit, you know, of that, you know, in your own home studio, which is pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, yeah, if you just do it, you know, Especially, I know people that will master completely with a pair of cans on. It's like, you are nuts. I do, dude, I know. I've, I've seen that. I'm like, oh, what? Oh, yeah. He, 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 I, I forgot who was the producer, dude. He mixed the album with headphones on. Yeah, it's I crazy. Forgot. What was this? Yeah, I'm going to say it was early 90s. It was, what was that? I want to say, was that the, I played on the Michael uh, Macaulay Shanker album. And I think the Oh, you, you played on the one with, you played with Jeff Pilson. Robin McCauley. Yeah. Uh, that's the self-titled one, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I think um, it's the third and the last. Yeah, Kevin yeah, Beamish. Kevin Beamish. Kevin Beamish. Yes. Yeah, that's that's crazy. There's not enough air between your between your you know the diaphragm and your ears. It's just like no way. I know. You know, I might be wrong about that, but I think that was the dude. I don't know. Yeah. And he's like my favorite bass player. We've done about 16 albums together over the years. And 
Yeah, I played on his solo stuff. He's all night. He's one of my all-time favorite guys. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. He is. Yeah. I, I, yeah if yeah. anything, he he definitely wins the gets along with everybody prize because everybody that that we meet, you know, and or he hooks us up with, they're all yeah. like, "Oh, Jeff is freaking great." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, him and uh, we we got to be friends uh, actually on the Monsters of Rock tour. That's when I first met him because uh, it was Kingdom Come opened, then Metallica played second, then Dokken, then Scorpions, then Van Halen, and. Uh, then when I got back to L.A., he was, like, super cool and invited me over to his house for a housewarming party because they bought a house, and we just remained friends and just, I mean, we just kid, were killing albums like crazy back then. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. During that Mouncers of Rock tour, I'm sure that Jeff was trying to look for any friends to be anywhere not around Dokken for that whole tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We won't go into that. But you're, pretty much, you're pretty much right. It was like the writing was on the wall. You could see it coming a mile away, and that was over. Yeah. And, no. uh, but Jeff was great, man, and uh, he's, you know, just a great guy. Yeah, and uh, of course, James, I grew up in Europe, and I had Donington every year, and then I hear this Monsters Rock Festival in the U.S., and the bill was phenomenal. Like, just playing on that, you must have been able to, like, stand side stage every day and just watch these bands like that you've probably grown up listening to. Dude, it, it really was. It really was surreal because you. Oh, you asked me earlier. Did Kingdom Come do any gigs yeah. like in LA to get warmed up? Mm -hmm. We never played a show before the album. We never did a warm up gig. We never did a this, that, anything. Our first gig in America was Monsters of Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Is that crazy? Wow. And we showed up in Alpine Valley, played three days, sold out forty five thousand a day. Wow. Of course, we went on like it was like I think our set time was like we went at two o'clock or something or one thirty. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But who cares? Everybody was there because it was like such a phenomenal moment. Yeah. And. Um, it was surreal, you know, because, wow, Scorpions, hey, how are you guys? Oh, here's the alien. And, uh, <laughs> and then you're at, at the after party up in the whoever's suite, and everybody's there, because the band's all hung together. And, um, oh, it's those Metallica guys, man, they can drink. I could give you, do, go into one of those... There was this one night, and I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta ask you, James, with Metallica on that bill, how did they go down more, um, most nights with with the crowd there? Because the crowd would have been looking for a hard rock band, and Metallica are coming on playing Master of Puppets and Justice for All and all that heavier, trashy stuff. Did they go down well? Well, you know, it was crazy. I mean, when when we went on, because at the time, now for a brief ten minute period, Kingdom Come was the the number one new band of the year until Guns N' Roses came along. And when, when Sweet Child came, of Mine came out, because the Guns N' Roses album had been out for like 40 weeks, and it was like really not, it was barely gold, I think. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Sweet Child of Mine, and they're like, Kingdom who? <laughs> Kingdom come, Kingdom gone. <laughs> anyway, but we would go on, and we got a great response, of course, because we had that uh, Get It On song, mm -hmm. and it was great. But when, when we went on, it was mostly guys cramming their way down front. When it was festi when it's festival seating, meaning you know there's it's standing on the floor. It was all guys, because this is when Metallic was breaking, man, and everybody wanted to see them. So down front, you've got four or five thousand hardcore metal guys <laughs> that are throwing ham sandwiches and stuff. At you. They were just there for Metallica, and as soon as Metallica was over, a lot of them said they left because they didn't want to see Dokken or anybody. Wow, it was really really interesting watching Metallica explode, man. That was just really awesome yeah were any of those shows ever recorded professionally like uh, uh, for vhs 
for video. I'm sure, dude. I, I know one thing. When we played Giant Stadium, the next day we were all in New York shopping, and the, you know those guys that sell tapes and stuff on the sidewalk. Sure enough, there's Kingdom Come live at the Monsters of Rock. <laughs> 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 you yeah. Know? yeah, definitely. Hey, I have one other quick Bob Rock, Little Mountain, Slash, uh, not Slash, the guitars, but mm-hmm. uh, Bob, you know what I mean, um, story. Yeah. Uh, so on Monsters of Rock, playing in L.A., and uh, L.A. Coliseum, I can't believe it. The first time Kingdom Come plays L.A., we're playing L.A. Coliseum. How ridiculous. So um, the days leading up to that, we we were in L.A. for like three days. And, man, it was just, you know, we were out doing promo and just tons of parties. And we were all pretty fried, too. But uh, so go go play the show. L.A. Coliseum, jam-packed, killer, blah, 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 I'm done. And I, I'll admit I was hungover. And the show was the dressing room just going, oh, my God. Could we just play 45 minutes in the heat? And I was sitting there, and uh, tour manager goes, hey, somebody wants to talk to you. I go, oh, all right, cool, man. Just give me five minutes. So in through the curtain comes, here comes Tommy Lee with Heather. I'm like, going, oh, he goes, hey, dude, I'm Tommy, man. What's going on? I go, not much. He goes, God, you guys were great, man. He goes, I got to know who produced your album. <laughs> it was the best thing. He goes, I just want to know the name of the guy. And I go, well, it's Bob Rock. He goes, we're going to get Bob Rock for the next album. Yeah, I think I think it did and, well. <laughs> and they did. They got Bob Rock to do uh, uh, Doctor Feelgood, uh, the one with Doctor Feelgood. No, yeah. that the pain. Doctor Feelgood. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't really paying attention to Tommy. I was looking at uh, Heather. Well, <laughs> <And then, laughs> part two of the story. This is how fate deals you ahead. So we talked for like like ten minutes. Then you know Tommy's usual Tommy self and. He goes, dude, man. He goes, you got to come to the Gazzari tonight. I got I gone, oh, I was all I wanted to do was go back to the hotel, go swimming and melt. He goes, dude, my sister's playing her first gig ever at Gazzari's and everybody's coming. And so I was like, oh. So the last minute, uh, I left my hotel like around 8.30 or whatever, and I went down there. Sure enough, everybody was there. Sebastian Box there, John Bonjovi. But Tommy meets me at the door, takes me up and introduces. He goes, come meet my mom and dad. I'm like, well, this is weird. I haven't even met the dog, your sister yet. <laughs> so I go meet the mom and dad and hang out. So then he takes me back to meet this girl, and it's Athena. And he goes, hey, Athena, this is the guy I told you about. I swear he'd be perfect for you. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's weird. So anyway, it's a small world. And so she blew me off, and then we ended up hanging out later on that night, and the rest is rock and roll. Disaster history. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same thing. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah so. so I don't want to take up too much of you guys' time, Scott and Richie. But yeah. anything else no. you want to talk about? We do. Here? We do have one more thing. We um sure. we we had Keith Olson on a while ago. And, oh, uh, Keith. Yeah. No, we didn't even talk about him yet. Yeah. So um we talked about uh, in your face record, and the first oh, person yeah. he mentioned was you, and I emailed him last week to tell him I was talking to you. And he said, just tell James that I still think he's the best drummer in the world. Oh, that is so nice. Yeah, yeah. We, we did a whole episode with Keith, and, and that was one of the things where he was really, had this really heartfelt thing. But he was also really kind of had a good laugh about how, you know, he was really had, you know, thought a lot of you. And, and that, uh, well, that's you know. so, oh, that just made my week, I think. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I know Keith has always said nice things about me, but just when you, you know, I've had kind of a tough year. 
And uh, just to hear that from Keith, and it's always that's just made my day. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I love yeah. you. He actually mentioned you actually a couple times, and yeah. he, he could actually couldn't say enough good stuff about you. And um, that's always great to hear, man. Yeah, he said. He said when I mentioned in your face, in the in your face record, he said all I, all I, when I had James Kotak, he said all all I wanted to do was just play the drums, James. Just play the drums. That's what he said. <laughs> well, that that's just vision. given us a lot of nice stories and everything we really appreciate that and, and also would like people to know is that um you you obviously you know, you're out there you're playing with the scorpions you also get a lot of other stuff going on so um while we have you on i'd like to give you the opportunity to promo everything else you're doing let people know uh sure. you know what else james kotak is up to so uh so why don't you go for it well uh this year scorpions is just playing just a few shows mm. so there's like two in november i think left and um uh, I took a little break from the band just to kind of like uh, chill out and get my ass together hmm. and uh, mission accomplished. And uh, so in the meantime, though, uh, I have, over the last few years, I've been working with Kerry Kelly. We had a thing called Project Rock, hmm. and we went to Russia and played a couple tours, and it was great. And we're, um, But we're going to change the name. We're not sure the name, and uh, we have a couple, an, an album deal. So we hope to have our album out in next year sometime. Oh, back to Scorpions, though. Next year is going to be the 50th anniversary. There will be uh, a documentary, a movie. Like uh, They filmed for like four years. They're, I think they're still filming. And um, I saw it in Germany just about a month ago, mm-hmm. and it was actually really entertaining. Because a lot of those movies can be really boring, but this is not. It's Ooh. very cool. Uh, so we got that. There's going to be an Outcakes album uh, and the 50th anniversary. So next year is going to be a big, exciting year. And then also, I have been talking with Lenny over the last, <laughs> I want to say, four or five years. I always want to go back and revisit Kingdom Come. Mm. I love the music. 
I mostly we're focusing on the first two years, two albums. So there could be some Kingdom Come shows coming here and there. We don't know. We're in, we're in talks. We have some offers about some things. And uh, but it would be the original five oh, lineup. Nice. nice. Because if not, there's no point in doing it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, honestly, I've just been so busy. We did uh, the the farewell tour, 2010, 11, and 12, and then 13, and it just keeps going. We can't we can't not. They were just there's so many wonderful offers, so I couldn't really do much of anything else. But um, I'm always interested in other things. And one thing I have to say, I'm super, super proud of my son Miles has a band called Bad Sons, S-U-N-S, Bad Sons. Mm-hmm. And they are like, uh, they're just doing phenomenal. They've toured with 1975. They were like number two on iTunes. And I'm just super proud because they worked their butts off in the last four years. And uh, their album's out. And um, there you go, language and perspective. Because they've really, you know, it's harder than ever for young men to make it these mm-hmm. days. Yeah. Because, honestly, there's just not a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they're out touring. They must have played at least 200 and, 220, 240, at least, I'm not, not exaggerating, like 220 shows in the last year, since the last year this time. No, is, is he a drummer? Uh, coincidentally, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it was one of those things where I did, I'm, I really didn't have a whole lot to do with it, to tell you the truth. It's like I came home one day and, and, um, I go to Athena, I go, I go, who's that playing drums back, back in the studio? She goes, that's Miles. I go, what? She goes, yeah, he's been practicing like crazy. He didn't want you to know. It's like I came home one day, and he's just like this super drummer. Wow. I'm like, what? Unbelievable. Wow, wow, so, that's cool. That's great. I, I'm, I'm beyond proud. And, and, and mostly the, the band, their work ethic is so good because a lot of young bands, they, you know, they get a little bit of success and they think, oh, we can just, you know, we'll be rock stars. But they're complete, nothing like that. Bad sons. Look for him at a theater. All right, okay. <laughs> you, you. I'm just super proud. I can't say enough. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And of course, you got a really cool website, and people should know that you got a lot of cool merch up there as well. You've got, you know, your, yeah. your project CDs, T-shirts, all that good stuff as well, and uh, you know, lots yeah, of stuff James to choose Kotak. from. There you go. Kotak.com. And of course, hit me. I'm, I'm at Jay Kotak on Twitter, uh, James Kotak, Facebook, the usual, all the stuff, and you know. Awesome. It's just been great talking to you guys, Scott Richie. It's, it's like this is when it's fun to go down memory lane. To talk yeah. about something. I've never really talked about this stuff well, before. James, this this is the reason we do it because we we remember getting those albums years ago, and now we have the opportunity, hopefully, to talk to some of the people who actually recorded them, which is fantastic for us as well. So yeah, you know, yeah well, I really appreciate you guys doing it because it keeps uh, you know a lot of this stuff alive, man. Because you know, rock and roll goes on and on and on. And you got it. Yeah. Hey, man, you guys should talk to Vinny. Have a seat. We oh, have. We, have. Well, we did the deal on Strange Highways. We yeah. talked to everybody. Oh, that's right. You've met everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we already, we were, we're actually speaking to Jimmy DeGrasso in about 20 minutes. <laughs> All right. Tell Jimmy I said, F you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Jimmy. We toured together with Alice Cooper a couple of times. He's one of my favorite drummers. He's great. Oh, he's awesome. He's a super great guy, man. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And um, uh, and definitely, you know, when the uh, when your new album is all set, give Richie a shout out, and we'll have you know either you, you know, or one of the other guys come on and uh, promo it, let people know about it, and uh, sure. get the word out. Oh, and speaking of the lineup in that band is is really incredible because of myself, Terry uh, Kelly, mm-hmm. you know, played with Alice Cooper and Slash, yep. uh, Rudy Sarzo on bass, oh, who is nice. another one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in rock and roll. Oh yeah. yeah. 
Um, Jim, I think him and Jeff Pilsen are twins. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Tim Ripper Owens on vocals and Teddy Zigzag on keys. So it's a just a killer band. Yeah. And uh, we've got like 12 tracks secretly recorded, locked away in a safe and ready to go. Awesome. Excellent. So yeah, when you guys are ready to rip on that, let us know. And uh, yeah, we will be more than happy to promote the hell out of it. Let people know. I mean, right it's a killer lineup too. Holy, holy crap. Yeah. Yeah, the band's great. You can there's some YouTube clips from uh, us in Russia last year, and just man, just what Rudy Sarlo kicks my ass. Man. Yeah, and that, that'd be good. It's a nice payback to Rudy too, because he's helped us out a lot in the past with hooking us up with people, and he's been a, a real good champion for the show of of getting cool. people on. So yeah, yeah, he's been great, Rudy. Yeah. And let me know if, if I can ever hook you up, or you can't get hold of somebody. I mean, this with that interweb thing, you can get anybody. No, oh, yeah, uh, excellent. Just, yeah, I appreciate hey, it. Just email me and I'll do what I can to help out. Will do, James. Well, thanks for coming on. Bye, guys. It's been awesome. Bye, Scott Ritchie. All right. Have a great evening. All right, you, you too, man. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. there with a little scorpions from the humanity hour one album that one is three two one featuring of course james kotak on drums so i hope you guys enjoyed this one of course you can tell from the interview that richie and i definitely enjoy talking to james and i will say and i think richie will agree as well that james is equally as personable and as awesome in person as he is on the phone. We've had the chance to hang out with him and a great time, great host. Can't say enough good stuff about the guy just personally as well as the amount of talent that he has, not only on the drums, but if you go and pick up any of the Kotak albums, you can hear James on guitar as well. And hopefully a lot of you were able to go and catch the Scorpions as they went through on their 50th anniversary tour. 
I know Richie and I were able to go, well, actually, courtesy of James, and great show, including some very cool medley stuff right smack in the middle as well. And if you want to keep up with James, as he says, you can go to jameskotak.com. All kinds of good stuff there, and you can also get merch and some of the aforementioned Kotak albums as well. And, of course, a big shout-out to James Kotak for coming back on to Focus on Metal. Sorry it took so long, James, of getting this great interview out, but uh, there it is. It's finally out, and looking forward to having you back on very soon. So that about wraps it up for installment number six of our Little Mountain Sound series. Still have, I believe, another five installments to go. And in those five are some pretty killer guests as well. I'm not going to spill the beans on who we might have. In fact, I think if you listen back carefully to some of the prior episodes, whether Little Mountain Sound or other episodes on Focus on Metal, Richie has a couple of times dropped other guests we have coming up as well. I don't know what it is. I guess I like to be a little bit more secretive, either that or just Richie gets so excited when he's talking to someone, he forgets that we're, uh, we're holding a few things back here. But we do have some really cool guests coming up in the series, including one that I don't think has ever really done uh, any kind of a show like this ever before. And we were uh, pretty grateful to get him on the show. I will say the one of the guests we do have coming up is, of course, engineer and producer Mike Frazier. Mike's been on the show a couple times. He came back on. He, you know, he wasn't going to miss being able to come on and talk about Little Mountain. And not only did he come on once, but... The original interview, Richie was not able to make it down. So Mike actually did a special second interview just so Richie could get all of his questions answered. So there's one. There's one other guest of those five coming up is a, uh, a double header with Mike Frazier. But that will do it for this week. Of course, if you want to hear any of our past episodes, you can go up to focusonmetal.net. And you can hear last year's project is the whole Strange Highways project that we did. That uh, is all available up there on FocusOnMetal.net, as well as the first five installments of Little Mountain Sound. They're all up there as well. So you can get a hold of any one of those ones or a lot of our past episodes. I would say that probably, I don't know, 80% of our past episodes for the last five years are available right up there on FocusOnMetal.net. You can just hop over to the episodes page and uh, scroll through them all. There's there's quite a few. I'm hoping that maybe at some point in the next couple of weeks, I actually may do direct download and stream links for all the special project ones. You know, I've got them kind of bunched up to the bottom of the home page. But when you click them, it just brings you over to the episodes page. I'm hoping that maybe I'll carve out a little bit of time in the next couple of weeks and actually just target those so that when you click them, they will allow you to stream or download just that particular episode. Because I, I do agree, you know, with, uh, you know, well in excess of 260 episodes, the list is getting a little bit long to have to scroll through. And of course, you can always head over to focusonmetal.blogspot.com. That's our news and show notes site and like just about every other human on the planet. You can also hook up with us on Facebook or as well as on Twitter. And you can get any of those social media links and links to iTunes, all that good stuff, either from focusedonmetal.blogspot.com or our main site, focusonmetal.net. And while you're online, be sure to check out all of our other brothers at The Blast Syndicate, blastsyndicate.com. Lots of great shows up there. So point yourself to blastsyndicate.com and get blasted. So that's it for this week. So for Richie and myself and everybody here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a good metal week. And remember, Focus on Metal! Everything else is in.